Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Matthew chapter 8 today, and we'll start with verse 18. We're going to begin a new series, uh, looking through the book of Matthew, following Jesus and in his own words. Not, not Peter and Paul and James and John, and not, not them telling us what it means to follow Jesus, though that's all good, it's still Bible, Jesus himself. What does he say it means to follow him? And... I feel more importantly, you cannot have the conversation without the question, what does it cost to follow him? Because if we talk about following Jesus, and we don't talk about the cost of following Jesus, we have the wrong subject. We've just, we've skipped the point. And and we get to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls, as I've said before, uh, what, what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace, and he predicted back in the 40s, this is where the church was heading, that we would get to a point where people just talked about Jesus saving us, and, and, and that was it. It was just, hey, Jesus saves us, and, and we're done. And, and, and Bonhoeffer's point, that is cheap grace. At no point does the Bible ever say it's easy. At no point does the Bible ever say uh, that all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart and you're done. That the cost of following Jesus, that there is a cost. That, that it's not just calling yourself a Christian, that there's a cost. So in this church, we don't want to bait and switch. We don't want to tell you, just become a Christian and then you're done. We want to make sure that you know what you're getting into. It's not for it. And, and this goes back to, the, if it was easy, the way would be, the, the, why, narrow is the gate and small is the way that leads to, I might have got those reversed. Small is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few people find it. If it was easy, it wouldn't be a, a, a narrow path or a small gate. The fact that it's sometimes hard to follow Jesus is why few people do it. So if you think, oh, being a Christian is easy, we may be doing it wrong. So we're going to look at Jesus' words uh, throughout the book of Matthew for the next few weeks uh, to see what the cost of following Jesus. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This passage comes right in the middle between healing and casting out demons. And then the next passage, and we'll read the next passage in in a bit, calming the storms, comes after the Sermon on the Mount uh, and, and after miraculous healings, faith and healings, and now we get to the fine print. Can we say that? Well, now we get to the cost. Some people are into following Jesus for the spiritual highs, for the feelings, for the, for the, for the, um, 
Yeah, for that emotional and spiritual high. Um, and, and the blessings. We want God to bless us, fix our finances, fix, fix everything else in my life. And, and we don't talk about the cost. The average person probably reading through this says, man, that's harsh. Skip your, skip your dad's funeral? That seems really harsh. Why is Jesus so harsh? Keep in mind, other place he said, um, Jesus said, if you don't hate your mom and dad, you can't follow me. Same guy, right? And, and, and we've talked about that passage before, that while there is some symbolic language, his point is, if you don't love me above everything else, you can't follow me. I've got to be so... Lord of your life does not mean that I'm second place to your family. Lord of your life means I'm everything to you. Doesn't make sense to us, maybe. Jesus almost seems to be talking these people out of following him. So it's kind of surprising that this guy says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, let me tell you why you shouldn't. That's not Jesus. Jesus, that's not how you grow a church. You're never going to get a mega church if you try to keep talking people out of, out of following you. We have to remember that this is the God that, that heals the lame. This is also the God that destroyed the Canaanites. Devastated, went, told, told Joshua and the army, when you go into Canaan, wipe them out. Men, women, children, even the animals. Same God. He is a God of love. But I like C.S. Lewis's line in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's, he's, not, a tame, he's not a tame lion. Jesus is a God. God and, and Jesus, we believe that Jesus was God on earth. He is a God of love, but man, he is a God that hates sin. How much does he hate sin? Well, he flooded the whole earth, killed everybody but eight people. He hates sin that much, and he hates it in our life. Don't think that he changed. And you know, sin was a big was a big deal, and he killed everybody for it before the before Noah. And now, that's ah, not a big deal. He, he's he's the unchanging one. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if we try to make a watered down, cuddly version of God. We're the ones who have misunderstood who he is. It doesn't take away from his love, but we've just kind of, he is both loving and holy. These are the two things we've got. Loving means he wants to save us. Holy from sin because sin is deadly and it has repercussions. And if you take away the holiness, everybody goes to heaven and there's no consequences for sin. If you take away the love, everybody dies (laughs) because we're all sinners. And somehow these two traits of God, his lovingness and his holiness, are in constant... Uh, uh, there, there's this, there, for us as Christians, we struggle to get them in the right perspective. And it's easy to fall one way or... It's so easy to fall one way or the other. We make him too loving, and anybody does whatever they want to. We make him too holy, we're all doomed. He's both. It's, it's the perfect synthesis of these two things. But as, as humans, we struggle to get these into the right perspective. So our context here, um, Jesus just dealt with the faith of this centurion, this non-Jewish person, this Gentile, who had amazing faith. But, but then he has to ask, why are the crowds following me? I mean, he'd fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and he knew that some people were following for the free food. Some people were going to hear this, and it would be harsh. But some people who heard him would understand his love and the beauty that it is our choice. To follow him? God is unchanging. The God of the Old Testament and all those mighty things he did is still the God of the New Testament. Um, 
it, it may sound, it's difficult to hear this, it may sound unloving at first, so what do we do with it? How, how do we reconcile this passage? How do we reconcile hate your mother and father if you want to follow me? We, we, we have choices, and there, there are things that people have done through the years. Some people do the, well, I know Jesus says this, but this is what he meant. And we have to be very careful on that. Yes, the Bible uses some hyperbole, absolutely. Uh, doesn't want you to literally hate your mom and dad. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. God loves everybody, but, but there's some theology going on there. So we got to be careful when we say, well, this is what he meant. A lot of people ignore it. We just pick and choose the passages of the Bible that we think are Scripture, and we pick and choose the passages that don't apply to us. But, but if you can pick some passages that are Scripture and, and some that aren't, and I can pick different passages that are Scripture and some that aren't, what we're obviously left with is none of it's Scripture. If we can pick and choose the bits that we think are true and the bits that aren't, then none of it matters. Absolutely none of it matters. Or we can struggle through it. We can accept that these are the words of Jesus, and we can work on reconciling them to our life. And we may not like it. I have good news for you. You don't have to like the Bible. You really don't. You, can, you, you don't have to be completely in love with the book. You don't have to say, this is, this is my favorite thing to read all the time, and, and it's just a pure joy. All the, I hope it's a joy to read it. When I read it, there are, stuff, there are things in here I don't like. I don't have to like it. I just have to follow it. When, when I was a kid, when my mom and dad gave me rules, I didn't like everything they told me. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't like them. I had to eat them because there were consequences if I didn't. So I ate them anyway with so much salt and pepper on them that maybe that's some of my problems was I just overdid it on Brussels sprouts and it kind of screwed up my, some, of my, some, of my, uh, <laughs> some of my metabolism. I don't know. Um, I, I choked them down, but, I'd, but it was better than it, it, any, any consequences. <laughs> it was so much better than all the consequences mom and dad would have given me. I had to like my mom and dad's rules to be a good kid. I just had to follow them. Mutter under my breath behind their back as long as I did it. it did. And, and you don't have to like all of the bits in the Bible. You don't. don't. Don't feel guilty about that. You can say, God, I don't like what this says. And God lovingly will say, I hear you. You, you still need to do this. And we can talk about it when you get up here later. But just because you don't like it doesn't mean you don't have to follow it. You don't get to pick and choose your way through God's through what God tells us to do. Um, this is about priorities. Just pure and simple. This passage is about putting God first. And Jesus knew that our priorities are out of whack. Jesus often for us is a priority, but he's got to be the priority. He's got to be that's what lordship means, isn't Lord? Lord isn't, you know, he's, he's, he's a priority. The entire definition of lordship is he is the priority. I also think that when we talk about Jesus, there is a, is a sense of an urgency in here. Jesus' time on earth is limited. He's only got X amount of time to get through, to, to get through his message. His time was short. He knew this. I think that there's urgency in our lives. I don't know if I have. I, how much time do we have left? I don't know. I guarantee the people in the Ukraine thought they had more, some of them thought they had more time than, they, than it turned out they had. Any one of us, we don't know if tomorrow is guaranteed. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how much time I have to share the gospel. It's important enough, and I know that God wants all of us to share it. So, so I want to dig into this just a little deeper. And then, and then we'll move on to the next passage as well. But I want to spend just a little bit of time digging into these two 
these two answers that Jesus gives us. Uh, the first answer is that the first thing he's, I think what he's saying when he says that foxes have no hole or have their holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay, lay his head. The obvious reading that we always get to is, is if you follow me, you got nowhere to live. And that's true. For when, when Jesus was spent three years um, wandering around Israel with his apostles, the apostles, and they went from town to town. Yeah, they had a very non-permanent residency. And certainly I think that that's the obvious reading that Jesus is talking about. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think there's a reference to the fact that the gospel can't be contained. Foxes live in holes in the ground. Birds live in nests. Cows live in fields with grass. CEOs live in skyscrapers. Farmers live in the countryside. Fishermen live on the coast. And Jesus is everywhere. Not in any one place. He's in all of those places. He is not contained. In the Old Testament, I like that, that there's a point where Israel goes to war with the neighboring nation, or the neighboring nation attacks Israel, and, and Israel beats them. And they say, ah, oh, we got it wrong because we, we fought them in the open plains. And clearly their God is a God of the open plains. So next year, let's fight them in the hills. And next year they fight them in the hills and Israel still wins. And that confuses them because obviously gods are either gods of the plains or gods of the hills. You can't be both. Jonah, we love Jonah, right? We, we look back on Jonah and we say, don't you think that getting in a boat and, and, and taking a boat trip to Spain, we don't know where Tarsus is, but I think it's in Spain. How did you think that, that, that going to Spain would be getting away from God? Well, the ancient world felt that gods were regional. If you were in Egypt, you were under the control of the gods of Egypt. You go to Greece, welcome, welcome to the Greek gods. Well, they, they weren't widespread. They were limited. Zeus lived on Olympus, and Knum of Egypt lived at the source of the Nile River. And, and, and this concept that, that the true God is everywhere was very alien in the Old Testament, but frankly, I think it's somewhat alien to the people of even the New Testament times. Uh, so today... and. And are we any better? Do we not confine subconsciously God is in, tr- in this church building? You know, mind your P's and Q's while you're in this building. But you can talk freely when you leave the building, right? You can do whatever you want to when you go out because God's here. We, we, we <laughs> get people that come to me and ask to get married. They've never been to church before in their life. They want a preacher to do the wedding. Why? Are you trying to trick you're trying to trick God into blessing your marriage when you're never going to go into a church again? Do we think that if, if you get married in a church that somehow God is obligated to bless you because he's here, but he's not out there? We have this idea that God is a God of church buildings and Sunday mornings, but when I'm at the bar on Friday night, that's, God doesn't go there. I think that we, we sometimes fall into that. But God cannot be confined to temples and churches and, and Bible studies and houses on certain days of the week. God is everywhere. And when we try to contain him and box him in, he leaves us behind and gets on with what he's doing. He is moving in our world. When we try to confine him here, well, he'll find somebody else that will willingly take him everywhere because he's already there. And we're not taking him places. We're going with him. God is bigger than we are. We, we, we have no hope of getting all of him, of comprehending everything about God and what he can do. That's just why there's faith. There are things I don't get, but I've learned to trust him. That's what faith is. Uh, we don't know what we're getting into when we become a Christian. It, it's a big deal. There's a lot going on here. Um, and, 
And I don't know all of it, but I trust that God will get me through it. And so, you know, when I decided to follow him, I didn't know I would become a preacher in West Virginia, and that's okay. Happy. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that he led me here. For me, this has been a delight, delightful move. Um, I, I, like West, I like West Virginia. I like the people of West Virginia. I like all of you guys a lot. And I'm grateful that you guys, almost seven years now, and, you still haven't, and, and, and you're still not so sick of me that it, you said it's time to get a new one. Thank you. Um, we don't know when we follow God what we're getting into. But we trust him that wherever he leads us, he'll take care of us. And, and we know that that doesn't even mean take care of us like our lives or our, or our homes or our money because the apostles followed Jesus around and things were pretty, um, I think things were pretty homeless for a while. I think things were pretty broke for a while. And then after Jesus died, they started getting persecuted and then things were pretty like murderous. But we trust that he takes care of our spirit and that with his strength, we will get through it. And I think that there still has to be a sense of urgency and readiness on the part of the church. Jesus was urgent. I wonder if we share his urgency. His time was short. Do we have his urgency for the gospel? Many people want to follow Jesus, and they want the rewards. This is what I don't like about televangelism. Send us your money. God will fix your kids. Make your, you know, you'll get a raise at work. There are promises that we don't have the right to make. We have this idea that, God, if I follow you, you need to make everything in my life better. But we, but we define what better is, and I don't know that, that's, that God is obligated to do it. In fact, biblically, he's not obligated to do it. Um, as the preacher Mark Driscoll said, your, your definition of a, of a blessed life needs to be big enough to include Jesus and the apostles. It, I mean, they were blessed, right? The apostles were blessed. So what happened to them? They followed Jesus around. They were persecuted. They didn't have a home to, to, to sleep in many times. And when it was all said and done, they got, they got martyred. They got killed for following Jesus. And that's a blessed life. So we need to make sure that we let God define what a blessing is. People want to follow Jesus for rewards. But I don't know that a lot of people want to play the cost of following Jesus. Many things seem urgent in life. Many things seem important. But what's important to God? We have to strive to be godly and to show Christ to the world around us. He cannot be contained. He also, the hard part, and, and this is, he, he takes us out of our comfort zone. And, and if we're not out of our comfort zone, you know, some days it's comfortable, but if we're always in our comfort zone, maybe we have to ask the question, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Is Jesus cruel here when he says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead? So the guy says, my, it sounds like he's saying, my father just died. I'll follow you when the funeral's over. I, Jesus, why would that be so bad? Um, I, th- I think there may be more going. A lot of experts believe that there might be more going on here than what might seem to us in the year 2022, reading a manuscript written in Greek about the, Ju- the Judean people. Uh, 2,000 years ago, that there may be more going on here. This may have been kind of a phrase of speech that was, let me attend a family. Of... Dad may not have been dead yet. This may have been just a shortcut way of this person saying to Jesus, look, I work for my dad, I have, which was most common back then. I have family obligations. When, when I'm no longer working for dad, and frankly, in a, in a day before Social Security, working for dad might have included helping to pay for, for where dad was later in his years in life. It, it, 
work for my dad. I've got family obligations. I will follow you when all of that stuff wraps up, when all of my family obligations are, are wrapped up. And I think we kind of get that. I, Southern Illinois, where I used to preach, had an area men's meeting where all the neighborhood, all the churches, Southern Illinois, you can throw a rock and hit a Church of Christ and a Christian church. I mean, there's, we had three in Murfreesboro. Um, just, just a town of 8,000. Not even 8,000, we had three of us. Um, uh, all the churches, uh, once a month, the guys would get together and have a joint Monday night service, have supper together, have had 100, 150 attendees. It was a lot of fun, a lot, a lot, lot of joy from that. You could count on one hand, probably, the number of men that were under 65 that weren't the preachers. It's just what guys did when they retired. And churches struggle with this, right? Churches struggle with the fact that, and, and I get it, I get it. If you've got kids, life is busy, you've got the after-school stuff, hard to get them to church on Sunday mornings. Those of you that bring your kids on Sunday morning, well done. It's tricky. Um, those of you that have more than one kid, we don't know how you do it, but I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, life is tough when you're younger, but that, is, that, is that an excuse? We, we know that God wants us to prioritize him, and somehow we manage to prioritize all the other things in our life, fishing, hunting, comic books, uh, whatever the things is that we love, we find time to prioritize them. How are we doing on prioritizing God? Following God gets us out of our comfort zones. This guy probably was saying, most experts agree, probably was saying, I will follow you when all of my life obligations summed up in the personification of dad, are wrapped up. And that may be too late. And it doesn't show actual true prioritization. It means that God is below these other priorities. And, and we like our comfort zones. Jesus, I'll follow you when I wrap all this up and things are more convenient. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. And you can follow me because we're going to be staying at a hotel with cable and continental breakfast and no no that's not what he promises is it jesus i will follow you wherever you go but there needs to be a paycheck involved and there needs and it, and it needs and it needs to conv- it needs to coincide with my schedule it's got to be at least a four-star hotel if we're going to if we're going to go there jesus i i think jesus is addressing what this man's expectations are and what many of our expectations are for today when we follow jesus that we do it out of our comfort zone out of our convenience. So many people follow Jesus as long as it's easy to follow him. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Money comes first. Absolutely money comes first. Favorite TV shows. We can't, you know, if there's Sunday night church, but my favorite show comes on Sunday night, well, you know, priorities, right? Hobbies. Air conditioning, right? Can't go to church if there's not air conditioning. I, not, not us, right? <laughs> but, but everybody else in the country. There's got to be air conditioning or I'm not coming to church. I think we give to Christ our leftovers. We follow him when it doesn't cost us anything. We come to church when there's nothing better to do. Weather's not so miserable that we have to stay home, not so good that there's something else to do. So it's kind of a perfect murky weather for coming to church. That's just kind of no excuses anymore. We give of our money after we've bought all of our stuff that we wanted to buy. The whole point of I think the whole point of lordship is that when we give, we don't give out of the leftovers. That's not lordship. We prioritize. We find a way to prioritize God in our lives. It's a way to give and to show. 
I don't know it's so much showing him who's Lord. I think it's showing ourselves who is Lord. We act as if we're doing God a favor by giving him the pitiful spare dimes of our life. But if Jesus is to be Lord, he doesn't get our leftovers. He gets our best. Now, I'm not saying all. Let me, let me be clear on this. You know, if you make, I'll just make up a number. You make 800 bucks a week. If you give 800 bucks a week every month to the offering plate, well, now you're the person that we need to help survive and, and get food. And God's not asking us to. When we say giving him our best, he wants us, you know, he, he, tithing is 10%. It's not 100. No, God isn't asking for 100% so that we're the ones that, that homeless shelters and, and churches are trying to take care of. We come, uh, if Jesus is to be Lord, he gets our best. So that's our question. It, is that what we give him? Do we give him our best? Can, can we sit here and say, God is getting the first fruits of my life, the best of me? Or is he only getting the leftovers? We, don't, we can't follow Jesus out of our comfort zone. We have to follow him out of necessity. We know that we need him. We know that we're lost if he's not Lord. And he gets to define what lordship is. And lordship is everything. I mean, that's lordship. We, we need him. We need him. He doesn't need us. We're not doing him any favors. You're not the point. This church is about him, not you. And, and it's not meant to be focused on you. If you're not here for him, you're here for the wrong reason. Now, I want to keep reading now. Uh, I do think that the next passage, we're so bad. It's just, we, we, we made chapters, we made verses, and we've, we've artificially created breaks when I think that there was much greater continuity and, and we have to. I mean, we just can't preach through 28 chapters of Matthew on a Sunday morning, but there's always that danger when you lift something out and look at it that you're not seeing how it fits into the greater context. I do think the next passage helps us maybe a little bit. I think, it, I think the context matters. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him and saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So let me say that in the previous passage, I think what Jesus is addressing is excuses. These people that say, I want to follow you, Jesus is getting to the heart of their excuses. Why they'll follow him out of convenience and out of comfort. An unwilling mind always is looking for excuses. But excuses show that we don't want to follow, that we don't want God to be in charge of everything, that we don't want lordship. I know what the Bible says, but, and as soon as you've said that, he's not Lord. I know what the Bible says, but. And, and we make up excuses. Helps us sleep at night. Doesn't help us in eternity. The truth is that people who don't want to follow Jesus will always find an excuse. People give amazing reasons why they won't, and you can fill in the blank. But it ultimately amounts to why I won't give God my life. You know the person that says, <laughs> so many people that will come up with excuses for why they can't go to church. But if you change, you know, we had a guy that said, uh, I had a friend of mine in high school 
that made the most bizarre restrictions. I don't, I don't trust churches. I don't trust preachers. I know I'm supposed to go. I just don't trust any of them. Jason, if you were a preacher in my area, I would go to church. Ha. <laughs> he lived in southern Illinois. <laughs> I, I moved. My first sermon at my previous church, I stayed at his house the night before and went to church the next Sunday. Uh, in the 10 years that I was preaching there, two, three times. He came three times in a 10-year period. God even met that excuse. If, 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 if Jason was the preacher in, in, in the town that I live in, I would come to church. He never came to church. People, I, if, if, I've, I've heard people, if church would just move, it's too, it's too early. If it just moved a half hour. And I've seen those churches, for whatever reason, they've even adjusted their times, and they don't come anyway. They're, they're, they're just looking for an excuse, and they'll find a new one. They'll find a new reason why they can't come to church. People will find, if they don't want to follow God, they'll make an excuse. But if you were to address that excuse, they'll find another one. People give amazing reasons why they won't do that, but why, why, why they can't make God Lord. But it's just excuses. They don't want lordship. When it comes down to it, I think people are very simple. We have gut reactions, and then we get defensive. And we defend the gut reaction rather than admit we might have been wrong or we were wrong. Faith is saying I'm wrong. God is right. I'm a sinner. I need saving. His way is the only way. Our gut reactions cannot speak louder than God. God says, but if that's not what I do, then I'll make excuses for why this book doesn't apply to me. We love to come up with excuses. I know what the Bible says, but it doesn't apply to me, and here's why. Then then God needs to line up. What we're saying is then God needs to get his act in gear and line up his commands with what we're already doing. It's a matter of faith. We, We are stuck in this mentality that faith is what I think. I don't care what you think. Demons believe in God, James tells us. But demons are doomed, damned, is, is the language of James. Demons are damned. It doesn't matter that they believe in God. Faith is believing God. Abraham believed God. He followed him. Was, and that references to God said, sacrifice your son. And Abraham, needless to say, hated that. Hated that. But he was going to do it anyway. It's the ultimate example of faith. You don't have to like what the Bible says. you just got to do it. Abraham said, I cannot believe that God would do this, but he's got to have a plan. He's got to have a way of resurrecting Isaac or something after the fact because he made me a promise, and I know he's good for his promise. So no matter how much I hate this, I will do this anyway. And the Bible, four times in the New Testament, the New Testament looks back on that and says that is the definition of faith. The definition of faith is not believing in God It's believing God and living accordingly. Faith is putting what we know into action, walking with Jesus in purity and faithfulness. We we can be so academic and and, and Christianity can be so much head knowledge. And so we get to this storm and the disciples, they've been with Jesus. He's fed 5,000 people. He's done all these things. There's a storm. We're going to die. And Jesus says, you guys are of little faith. I'm bigger than the storm. Now, they, they, these guys were fishermen. They knew how deadly storms were. It doesn't matter. It's an excuse. We know that people can't change weather. Well, except God, right? Not an excuse. They, Jesus calls it insulting phrase. I, it, it would be quite the, uh, I wouldn't want to hear that. I wouldn't want to be told I'm a person of little faith. But they hadn't grown to the point of being people of big faith yet. Because after seeing Jesus do all these things, they still thought that being with Jesus on a stormy lake was, was deadly. In the midst of the storm, no excuses. I wonder, 
I don't know that they, because their final statement, what kind of man is this? How do you not know you've been traveling with Jesus? I don't think they fully knew who Jesus was yet. I think, I think they were learning. I think it was gradually dawning on them, but they weren't there yet. I wonder, I wonder how many of us still don't fully get, I know we can't get all of it, but, but, but sufficiently get how big he is and what lordship means. Do we know who our Savior is? Do we, do we want to follow him? I mean, really, do we really want to follow him? And so our, our, our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 709. So I know that sound like a broken record, but I think we're talking about priorities. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life, no matter how uncomfortable that makes us? When does that switch take place? What point do we say, I'm going to do what I want to do and live for myself? I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do and live for him. At what point do, does it? And then I think that also there's a point when we do it and, and we say, okay, I'm going to follow Christ even if I don't like it. And there is a point when it does become a joy. I'm going to follow Christ, and I'm starting to like this. I'm starting to get it. I'm starting, uh, there, there's a joy and an acceptance that his ways are better than mine, that this is great. It's not a chore anymore. For some people, it is a light switch. Something, something clicks, and ha-ha, they have an aha moment. For some people, it is this, gra- like the apostles, I think it's this gradual, dawning realization. And that's okay, too. There are different ways to come. For some people, it's, it's in a flash. For some people, it's just gradually growing into it. But we've got to get it in the end, right? If we're going to follow God and make him Lord, that's the only way to salvation. If you haven't made the decision for Christ to make him Lord, not, not mental, I like the guy. If you haven't made the decision to make Christ Lord of your life with all that that entails, or maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about and you want to talk more, great, stick around after church. I want to talk with you. That's what, that's what I'm here for. Um, if you want to talk about what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.